Hey, and welcome to Stoner. This week on the show, we talk to Krishna Andavalu, who is the host of Weedikit on Viceland. It is far and away the best show about weed on TV, if not the only show. Uh, Krishna travels the world telling the stories of prohibition and legalization. Weedikit is about to start its third season uh, tomorrow on April 19th. Stoner has new shows every Tuesday, so please subscribe and tell all your friends. From what I've heard, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that Weedicat is the most successful show on Vice, or the highest rated show on Viceland. That might have been true at a time, but a time. I believe that the, the network itself has been growing at an appreciable rate such that we are no longer that, which is ultimately a good thing. What do you attribute to, like, okay, Vice is this youth brand, they, just, they get a cable network, they come up with a bunch of show ideas. Kind of feels like you know, throwing uh, throwing things in the hat, seeing what sticks. Sure. Why did this stick? I mean, there's two reasons. I think one thing is that people like pot. You know, it's yeah. something that people can either relate to really strongly because it's identity based, or not even that strongly, but be kind of interested in it. And I I would attribute it to our point of view, our angle of attack, our our basic understanding that that we weren't trying to make exposés about this, that we weren't trying to make people seem like freaks or weirdos or, or idiots, that we were meeting them where they were and then trying to peel back the layers of science and politics and, and whatever to appreciate and understand their struggles and journeys. And I think people get that when they watch the show. And especially like the people who are really into pot are like, holy crap, you're taking this seriously and you're you're doing a you're doing it justice. And I think that's kind of what we're hoping to do is to like chronicle this moment in history and do it justice. Immediately on November 9th, the climate around what you're doing totally changes. Uh, what, like, what was the first discussion in the like Weedikit writer's room after the election? Well, so what we were doing, we were already prepping for a season three at that yeah. point. So we had sort of pre-production going on a, a raft of stories that we were really excited about. Uh, and what we realized is that what we thought we were covering in some ways were sleeper issues. Like the first story of season three is about immigration and deportation and how marijuana is kind of a, you know, marijuana convictions can be the gateway to that kind of deportation. Um, And so we thought that was, whoa, you know, the shadow prison system of Mm -hmm. ICE detention is something that isn't necessarily on the front pages. And so now what we're finding, A, it's unlikely that marijuana will be legal on a federal level anytime soon. And B, that the stories that we're telling are, in a sense, of increased vitality or increased importance. Um, throughout the show, like this is the third season, the first, we've been skating a line between are we advocating for pot legalization? Are we questioning sort of the perceived wisdom of the marijuana activist community? Like we're, we're, we're curious and empathetic, but we're also critical in that sense. But I think what the, the election of Donald Trump and the, coinciding with our third season to us was like, let's use this as an opportunity to tell stories that we think really matter about what it means to be American. And what's interesting is that marijuana is an exceptionally functional and exciting way into those conversations. What, like, as you saw that uh, snowball starting to roll until Trump's election, what were you thinking? I mean, we were thinking that maybe the show wouldn't need to exist anymore. Interesting. That uh, the stories of friction between legal pot and illegal pot, between what's acceptable in medical marijuana and what's unproven, that those boundaries would start moving to a place where 
the kind of emotional investigation that we were going through would no longer have the, the sort of goalposts that they did, you know, two years ago. I was thinking that the wave of legalization, the time period that we're talking about right now, the historical moment was going to close. And in a sense, the time to document that historical moment might close as well. But I think, oddly enough, President Trump's election has extended that time period, has extended the the historical moment. When you've encountered that question of like, how should we cover this? Does your, do your personal experiences come to bear? Or are you acting as a journalist? Like what's your relationship to marijuana in reporting the show? That's like, I mean, the first season was very much about that in a way of sort of like uh, my personal journey of understanding how being a pot smoker was something that my parents frowned upon yeah. as sort of like, an Indian American as a Hindu American as someone who was raised rather traditionally like it was a difficult negotiation with my folks that this was something that was serious that this pursuit of talking about pot and pot related stories actually had some merit to it and it wasn't just sort of like some Xi Jinping shit it's kind of the ultimate like mom I've got a TV show but yeah no exactly because um, there are they juiced that you're on TV in general yeah they hate seeing me smoke pot on TV which yeah. we, I do um, but they are very, I mean, proud of the kind of stories that we're doing. So I'm curious, like, as like a, a young Brooklyn father yeah. who enjoys weed, like, how does that interact with who you are on the show? Sure. I think the idea that it's very much about family. The show is very much about how families are either brought together because of pot or um, kind of forced apart because of pot's because pot's illegal. And I think as a new father, as someone who's sort of like starting off into the life of being part of a family, I'm exploring what family means and understanding oddly that at this moment in history, pot can mean pot can be equivalent to a family like it, it can it can enable families to come together and so as i sort of investigate people's lives as i follow stories and understand what's important to them i'm relating their family experiences to my family experiences so the idea that family that pot can equal family in and of itself i think is kind of a like a novelty in a weird way or the, the way that you can represent marijuana culture as something that is about family and not about being a renegade or about being a stoner or about being someone who is um, non-productive in that way. When was the first time you tried weed yourself? Ooh, good question. I've been, I've been prepping for this one. Uh, <laughs> I was a senior in high school, so I was 17. It was pretty late, I think, yeah. generally, but it was April 20th. Where are you from? Princeton, New Jersey. So it was April 20th. It was at 4.20 p.m. after school. Some of us went to a friend's house and we smoked some pot. I did not get high, uh, but I remember being thrilled, right, by like, the experience just like sharing this with kids feeling kind of cool about it i don't know just I, I guess in a way like having an experience that felt so typically american adolescent that's what was so wild about was it. that sort of typical american adolescent experience something that you felt was elusive during your own adolescence yeah i mean elusive might be the right. I, I think if i look back on it now i had a totally typical adolescent american experience but at the time sort of navigating being Indian American and being around mostly sort of Caucasian Americans, there was this feeling of being a bit of an outsider. Mm. We're not exactly privy to the codes and, and language of someone who didn't have to think about being anything but American. Where you were growing up was marijuana use among different like cliques of kids. Did it like break along ethnic lines? 
Uh, it, it, not really. I mean, it was sort of like, well, no, not really, because I didn't grow up amongst very many ethnicities. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be. <laughs> you the... broke, you broke ethnically as a party of one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is to say that, like, I was sort of like a punk kind of growing up, or at least I, like, identified with punk ideas and values. And so I was kind of a straight edge dude. And being straight edge also coalesced with my family's sort of, like, understanding that you don't drink, you don't do drugs, like that's like a spiritual imperative. And so punk was sort of also a political imperative. Hinduism, the original straight edge. Yes, right. Well, maybe. <laughs> not Depends really, on but what not really. who's yeah. Hinduism. There's many Hinduisms. But uh, so, yeah, like my political consciousness as a young person and my like spiritual background kind of would coalesce into this idea of straight edge. But by the time I was a senior, I was like, I just want to smoke some pot. I want to figure it out. So when did you, when did you start smoking regularly? I got to college. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, I guess the summer before college, like I was smoking pot. I got high for the first time, like watched Billy Madison laugh. It was great. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I went to college was, it was around, it was fun. I didn't particularly like drinking. Yeah. Uh, so it was like a way of socializing with people and I, I liked it. Yeah. And where were you at as with your relationship with weed when you realized that you would be hosting a show about weed? Uh, good. Yeah, I guess I like didn't really smoke that much pot or like I, I liked pot. It was something that was I would have and it would be around me, but it wasn't something I was cons I considered part of my identity yeah. in any. Um, well, I mean, even saying that, though, like it was just so normal to smoke pot that it didn't have to be part of my identity in order if I had done it. I started making Weed a Kit as a web series. And even prior to that, uh, I was like the weekend editor at, at Vice.com. And so another writer uh, named Abdullah Saeed had like pitched a weed column for Sundays. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Sounds great. Abdullah now hosts another show on Viceland called Bong Appetit. We started it as a column, uh, started doing it as a web documentary series. You're being asked to do this show. You're like a guy who's been like um, uh, on the off shift at Vice for a while. Yeah. Like, was it a leap for you to say, like, oh, no matter what, for the rest of my life, if you Google me, this weed show that I hosted is going to come up? Well, I mean, first of all, I kind of pitched the show. So oh. it wasn't... It, I wasn't <laughs> Brought sort of... it upon yourself. Right, I did. And, <laughs> and the jump from doing it on a digital platform to the sort of TV platform was interesting, too, because it was at... We didn't know what the show would be. We didn't know if Weed Kit should be a television show. But then I was sort of talking about it with the people who were developing the network. And like Spike Jones was one of the one of the like integral voices in sort of creating this thing. I told him about this time where I did a, I did a Vice.com documentary about Uruguay, which was the first f country to fully legalize marijuana. And so I went to Uruguay, interviewed a bunch of people, smoked some pot, had a good time. And then I interviewed the president of the country, this awesome dude named Pepe Mojica, who was like a left-wing guerrilla in the 70s, you know, kind of like a pauper president who doesn't um, live in a palace. He's no longer the president anymore. In either case, at the end of the interview, I smoke pot. Um, and he's like, go for it. Like, have, have fun at his house. And I was telling my parents about that the day before it was coming out, and they were just mortified because they were really excited that in a journalistic fashion, I'd gone and interviewed the head of state, and then they were really bummed that I had smoked pot on TV. So that story sort of like crystallized the idea that my personal journey was part of the political journey of pot's move from a subculture to a mainstream culture, from something that's sort of like punished to something that's p potentially praised. So at that moment that you smoked 
pot with the president of Uruguay, mm-hmm. which is like if you're going to have a coming out moment, I feel like that's a pretty bombastic one. Yeah, it, was good one. it wasn't like you're like smoking weed in like the background of a picture at a concert yeah, or something yeah, like right. that. So I'm curious, like how your experience as a, as a person who at least formerly enjoyed weed has changed now that it's your job. Well, I think for a while I might have even been a little bummed out that it was like the beat that I was covering um, because I have colleagues who are going to Syria or going to Iraq who are going, you know, who are doing kind of like the vascular reporting and investigative work that maybe one day I thought that's what I wanted to do. But what I've realized, and especially after the show has come out and I've liked the reception of the show, is that there are a lot of people who think that pot is normal and there isn't that much media out there that portrays them as sane. You know, we're following people and sort of understanding the emotional logic that is their lives. And so as someone, maybe I still enjoy smoking pot and I still do it, but I I think I enjoy the values of cannabis culture more than I did beforehand. Do you think that this Jeff Sessions Trump stuff, does that trickle down to your average middle-class smoker? Uh, so the Jeff Sessions stuff is tough on the medical front and on yeah. the reforming um, criminal justice front, both of which are like at complete illogical places. And we're on kind of a track to potentially getting to a place that make more sense. Uh, so from the medical side, it's tough to sp- study pot because it's not only is it Schedule 1 under the FDA or the DEA's Controlled Substances Act, but it is all, there's also like a couple more hoops that you have to jump through in order to actually study it. Um, the FDA has begun the process of making it easier, but things that Jeff Sessions says can mean that these things start happening today or they start happening in 10 years. And then these studies take 10 you know, years to get off the ground. The results take years. So in the case of, say, like veterans with PTSD, if there is a time where the VA, the Veterans like Administration, can actually start prescribing pot to patients, that might help with opioid overdose and deaths in a very real way very quickly. And so there's like people dying every moment that that's not taken care of in a way that's that makes sense or that, you know, that's not approached in a way that makes sense. I'm mostly familiar with the legalization path in California. It seems to be like the one that's been covered the most. Sure. So the basic trajectory of what has happened in California has been a ballot initiative. Things always happen in California because it's so easy to get ballot initiatives through in California. Mm -hmm. You can like Pass something that's like wildly unrealistic and just yeah, well, that's have to why start it out. Their budgets have always been so exactly bacocta. When medical marijuana passed in California, I was very happy. But the thing has left me with a slightly weird taste in my mouth. Um, the experience of going to a weird strip mall doctor mm-hmm. and being and making up medical ailments. Actually, there kind of were real medical ailments, but they were not my my Impetus primary for reason there, yeah. for getting a medical marijuana card. What do you think of that whole path that it's taken? Is it a model for the rest of the country? Are there problems with it? Sure. Well, I guess we could start off really like high level or like uh, 35,000 feet. Like the acceptance of pot as something that is, shouldn't be illegal has started with understanding that it could have some medical benefits. So stories of kids, and this is stories of kids with epilepsy who are, you know, who have fewer seizures because they take CBD oil equals pot isn't something to shun. Yep. However, the the California sort of model far out predated that. So it's like 96, I think, when the first medical marijuana 
initiatives that were passed there? I don't know. I think there, it, like, there's two arguments, right? I think the first is it is a uh, artificial binary, medical versus recreational, which is to say you could make the argument that all pot smoking is medicinal in some fashion or, or therapeutic or is about wellness. Certainly. You could also make the argument that like, if you feel bad and something makes you feel good, that's not a quote-unquote medicine. That is something else. Yep. And so I think the idea of medical marijuana in California, and a lot of it was also in direct response to the AIDS crisis because marijuana was used as a... Uh, palliative for wasting syndrome and other kind of AIDS-related things. So patient advocacy groups were really strong there and were able to sort of put a ballot initiative on the, on the board and public opinion took it the rest of the way. But it is an imperfect beginning to the idea that marijuana should be not illegal. It discounts other kinds of uses. There's legitimate weed and then there's like fuck around weed, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think like, yes, there is legitimate weed and yes, there is fuck around weed, but that shouldn't be a basis for whether it's legal or illegal. And so, you know, we say 26 states or 27 states in DC have legal marijuana in some kind or whatever that number is, but many of them are very restrictive where it's just CBD only, non-psychoactive stuff that is really in direct response to patient advocacy people being like, I have a kid with epilepsy, right. I want CBD. So it skews the narrative in positive ways and in negative ways. Um, but I think on balance, it's a good thing. The way that medical marijuana was legalized in California was also pretty messy. And for a while, it was like a big excuse for basic black market practices, which again, I don't think are bad because yeah. weed is weed, but it's, it's tough. Hey, I'm going to pause things here for a quick sec to tell you about the Stoner Mailbag. Yes, we have a voicemail mailbag. You can call in. If you ask a question, I'll do my best to answer it or find someone who can, or perhaps just have a guest who's totally unqualified to answer it, answer it. We'll see how it goes. Uh, the number 347 464 1625. 347 464 1625. So tell me about tell me about your life. You're uh, you're you're a recent father. Yeah, so I have a two and a half year old. What um, has um, has being a dad uh, changed like your relationship to marijuana at all? That's a hard question. Yes, I mean obviously it's changed my relationship with pretty much everything. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean you know I don't smoke as much pot in the daytime anymore. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a before or after he goes to sleep kind of thing. I rarely. Well, another thing is like. I'm on the road a lot, mm -hmm. right, reporting, and I'm people are super generous, and it's really a, a lovely way to connect with the people that you're covering is to hang out with them and smoke some pot. Yeah. And they tend to have a lot of pot and really, really good pot. So when I'm at home, I oftentimes just, it's like the time where I don't smoke weed. A, it's still illegal here in New York, but mostly because it's like, it's it's my little, my little break. And being a dad then isn't necessarily part of the pot smoking. But it's interesting because I think like, you know, one of the stories that we did in season two was about parenting and pot. It was about people getting their kids taken away by child protective services because they either use marijuana med medically or, you know, just pot and parenting. And that's one of those sort of like social boundaries that's still pretty cutting. Like you can't just be like, yeah, I totally smoke tons of weed around my kid all the time and everything's fine. And there's some really good writing about it. And there's some other some really great pieces about that stuff. But uh, me personally, I don't know where those boundaries are for myself. And I think a lot of it. it and so as a result, I tend not to put myself in situations where I'm 
stoned around my kid. And like I'll relate this to another story, and I'm sorry if I'm like pitching episodes, but no, not at all. This season we're doing a story about stone. <laughs> Collect them all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This story we're doing a this season we're doing a story about stone driving. You know, getting a DUI for for smoking weed, and yeah. in more legal states, like police officers and authorities are worried that it's making our roads unsafe, et cetera. And what we sort of learned, or what I learned through that episode, and you kind of know this on like a. So you drove stoned on this episode. I did. Yes, yes. it was a closed track. Closed it was, track. It was for science. How stoned were you? Super. I was blazed. And yeah. Three huge bong ribs before I went out there. But I did it sober once. But what I mean to say is that like the phenomenology of stoneness and your ability to quantify it is really difficult. And like, Tell me about it. Right? And, and with, um, with alcohol, we got super lucky. You can see a bell curve of like all the people in the world and at a certain limit of blood alcohol, pretty much all of them are impaired. And then tolerance is a huge thing too. Yeah, so like, like if where you is smoke... your tolerance at while you're in the middle of a season of weed? Okay, you're about to get this uh, vehicle on a closed track. You take three bong rips. Are you like doing mental calculations as to how high you're going to be? I tried. I was still pretty high. But like, the, yeah, tolerance is a weird thing because it's, and there's no way to quantify. We haven't been able to quantify it amongst a large geography of people or a large demographic of people. So like, in that sense, I think there are people who can probably smoke a lot of pot and be and, and around their kids or like maybe not next to their kids and still be still be the parents they want to be and yeah. be great parents to that that kid. Um, I'm hearing a lot about like um, like uh, kids' birthday vape sessions there you in go. California. Yeah, just step out and do some out on the patio. A quick vape before going in to hit the pinata. I've wanted to be very high every time I'm at a party with a lot of children. <laughs> it's totally insane. <laughs> yeah, and then well, okay, so now let's now we can move into the idea of marijuana as an enhancer, right? Sure. Like, could it be a therapeutic enhancer when you're relating to your kid? I don't know. How do you get there? You have to shed any negative association with the idea of being stoned. And yep. replace it with the idea that of the positive elements of stoneness. And you also have to have a self-awareness about that experience you have while stoned and be confident in your later days, like, oh, my memory was correct about that. Like right. I, I am I am the person I believe myself to be. Yeah. And and, and then and like I think maybe the most you have to be white, basically, in order to be able to make those calculations right. without someone saying that you're a criminal. Sure. And I mean, that's not true entirely, but like it's still like white parents are much more able to take to make those decisions for themselves. Whereas as it's shown by who gets picked up by CPS and other otherwise, like black parents really don't as much. And I think there's still two pot universes in the kind of, you know, microcosm of family when you talk about black and white people, too. Yeah. Or like white and everyone else yeah, people, basically. Right. So you're not quite on board with the uh, the smoking around your kids, but in the context of being on a closed track in a car, you're like, all right, let's let's go for it, let's get it on. Yeah. Um, what was it like? Uh, terrifying. Yeah. It was so scary. How badly can you cl crash in a closed track? That's always been something I've been curious there about. Was a, there was a lot. I mean, I could have hit the, you know, we were just had normal seatbelts on. I yep. didn't have a helmet on. Like, I could have you know, hit the sidewall at the at 70 miles per hour, and that would have been pretty... In the trailer for the season, it looks like there's some, like, obstacles coming yeah. at you. Right, there's obstacles coming around. I'm going through cones. There's, like, picture car. That was actually... 
my greatest fear was there was a picture car, which is to say the, a car with my colleagues and like oh wow dear dear camera people yeah. and sound people that I just did not want to hit. Is anyone there kind of rooting for you to crash though, just for like a better story? Yeah, they were all super um, disappointed that I didn't hit any cones. But then again, there you know there wasn't real world factors like someone running a kid running across the street. People getting stoned say it does some one thing to themselves, and people sort of in power are saying being stoned means this other thing. Yeah. And until the people in power are the people getting stoned, the like reflex of power of government will be to punish rather than to understand. Yes. And like that is a, a really integral part of where we are right now, where it's like there's a lot of the country is saying like pot means this to me. Being stoned, being high, it means this. And I know that in my body, I know that in my lifestyle, I know that in any other way. And another half is saying, no, being stoned means this other thing. And that's a bad thing that we should punish or be wary of or scared of. Until you talk to another person about marijuana, you don't know whether your experiences are some kind of weird delusion you're having or some sort of a universal experience. And I think that that asymmetry of information um, contributes to that misunderstanding. Those models of functional smokers or functional cannabis users, yep. there's a big white space in the media to define what that is. And I think like there's going to be times where brands try to define what mm -hmm. that is. And there's going to be times where individuals define that you know, interpersonally. Uh, and so it's another thing, unless you know someone who smokes pot, who has their shit together and it's like, isn't a like a bad version of a stoner, then you're always going to think that it's as bad as any other drug. I guess I'm wondering like how marijuana role models emerge and how, and how those kind of perceptions can change. Like when I called this show stoner, it was under the idea that there's at least the possibility that that word will become something like nerd that mm. becomes rebranded and, and becomes emblematic, not of the traditional cliche, but of whatever the next generation is. Um, how how do you how does that come about? Do you think? I, I think it's story by story and like day by day. Yeah. I, you know, I think I don't know how nerd didn't like became a good thing. I think that uh, through a combination of like media. And pop culture. Well, I think it's like with nerds, you—it's valuing expertise and data, yep. and being driven by—I don't know what it is. Well, Just to be clear, this show is anti-nerd. We're anti-nerd. Good. I mean, I've been <laughs> yeah. edging to that point. Yeah, I, I think uh, I don't know how that happens. I mean, is it like? I mean, maybe it's like it being legal. That, yeah. That's a—I could posit that and yeah. probably defend that idea. So if it goes legal, you're kind of out of the job. Is that the deal? I don't know. Yeah, or it's my show will be more like a CNBC show where I'm like hot stock tips on the oh yeah the weed industry. Yeah, you'll be like sell, sell, sell. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Jim Cramer kind yeah, of vibe. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would like to see that show. So I hope that that does happen, <laughs> and uh, you should come back on the show at that point. Yeah. Uh, we like to play a little uh, uh, quiz show okay. at the end of the show. Bring it's it. called Peak Experiences. Um, first question is, what is your favorite way to enjoy weed? Like you're in, you know. Um, you got a babysitter. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're even like at a hotel or something. Uh, what do you, what what's your go-to? You're talking about like methods yeah, of ingestion. Like, is it a joint? Is it a vape? Is it an edible? Yeah, I think if you asked me like two years ago, I'd be like a joint. Yeah. But I think I'm really into edibles now. Really? Yeah, I think it uh, it just has this longer and more kind of it creeps into you. Mm. 
yeah, I just, I really like different kinds of Did you of edible. like edibles before? Like, had you always liked them? Because for me, they're very, like, all of the things that I don't like in terms of, like, unpredictability sure. and, like, what time is it kind yeah. of, like, freak me out. How, <laughs> how did you, how did you like, um, toe dip into edibles? I think I just got really good stuff. Right. You know, I went out in Colorado and California and was just exposed to, like, really, like, and you can, you know, get five milligrams or three milligrams. You can kind of titrate it to what you want. Like, when you force yourself to nerd out on that stuff yeah you find what works for you yeah and so i really like taking anywhere from five to ten milligrams uh of like a sativa dominant edible and you don't get an overwhelmed kind of like you know holy shit what's happening kind of effect i get i'll get like an overwhelmed feeling at times Mm -hmm. but it's not unpleasant is that an issue when you're shooting the show? That have you just, has the crew ever been just like, Krishna, you're too high right now. we got to take an hour off here. I think, <laughs> and I'll just toot my own horn here. I think people are frustrated by <laughs> how... Toot, it's the crew who's too high. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people are frustrated with how functional I am yeah. when I get stoned. Uh, and so oftentimes we're looking for moments of just like, you're you're so stoned. And yeah. I'm like, I'm still carrying on this conversation. I'm still driving this car. Not to say that I'm like Superman, super stoned, but like... I, I don't outwardly appear that stoned, but in my mind, the stone goblins are turning. <laughs> and so it's fun for me. What, like, um, do you have like a technique when the stone goblins start turning to like be like, quiet goblins, like I'm shooting this TV show here? I know because their camera's pointed at me and I know I have like a, a job to do and like yeah. a mission of what I'm trying to, you know, what I'm trying to get to or do that I'm good. It's like kind of like a superpower. It's yeah. like, I'm not really high. I'm filming a TV show about <laughs> weed here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, your favorite uh, favorite place you've ever visited in your life? Ooh. Nepal, Him- like the Himalayas, just that region. I don't know if there's a specific place there. I just, it's... Uh... What did what what was, uh, what were your travels there like? Uh, I've done a few things. I've shot there. I've like backpacked around there. It's just I always feel like I'm in a special place where the air is thin, the adventures are great. It takes very little to be super happy. You're going to an island. Weed grows on the island. You're going to be there for for the rest of your life. One piece of music, one CD. To see it's an island that accepts only CDs. Uh, I think, I think it's Sweetheart of the Rodeo, the Birds record with mm. Grant Parson. I've just listened to that for so long, and loved it. Was that it? when you heard that album? Had you heard music in that vein before, or was it your introduction to country rock? Yeah, I think it was my introduction to country. Me rock. too. Yeah. And then I've heard other country rock. I'm like, this is not nearly as good as right. Sweetheart of the Rodeo. And they're like, uh, actually, they're kind of. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> what like, are, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, favorite snack. Uh. I'm not good at favorites. I think... Or like, okay, we're at the like Here you go. mega emporium. We mm-hmm. just wrapped the season. Yep. We're at the mega emporium. Like, number one thing you gotta have. Very, very hungry. I like run on kind bars now. Really? Yeah, I just eat them. That is the mo- probably the most surprising response to any <laughs> peak experience question ever was kind bars. I think they're provided for me for free at various places. Do you, so, do you have like a, a deal with kind bars? Yeah, I'm a paid spokesman for yeah. guys. If you're listening, I could be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think they're just they've been provided to me for so long that I get hungry a lot 
and often. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just a, like two bites and I'm not hungry for 45 minutes. Um, this is, this is the second half of um, peak experiences where I like forget all the questions <laughs> if, I don't listen, if I don't list them out. Favorite stoned viewing experience in recent memory. What's like the last thing you remember being like, wow, that was an amazing thing to watch while high? This is maybe like betraying how bad my short-term memory is, but I know that's. Do you have? Do you have the? Okay, before you answer, I'll give you like a breather so you can think about this. Mm-hmm. As someone who who smokes weed. Every time I lose my keys, uh, go get in my car without my backpack, I'm like, would I, like, you know, I have that sliding doors moment where I'm like, is there a different Aaron who, like, would remember all this stuff? But I have no, I have nothing to compare it to, mm-hmm. you know? Like, do you, do, you have, do you have that feeling like, oh, God, my memory's gone, and then you're like, is it the weed? Yeah. Well, I mean, I showed up for this podcast yesterday. <laughs> Uh, we should we should know <laughs> because I, it was on my schedule for yesterday, and and that actually speaks to it. So <laughs> Krishna showed up here at my office, and my business partner Max called me. He said Krishna's here, and immediately, like immediately in that like millisecond, my mind went, "You fucking bungler, Aaron, <laughs> smoking weed. You make a podcast about weed and then forget to show up. You are a living joke." Yeah. Um, do you do you worry about that kind of stuff? Totally. Okay. I me mean, too. You know, I, I think, and I'll, I'll go back to data on this because it exists. Like, there, there is a lot of, like, kind of scary data about uh, the way that prolonged marijuana use, especially as a young adolescent or yep. young adult or late adolescent and young adult, like, affects certain cognitive abilities. That is, but, you know, how bad is it in comparison to drinking every night in those years? How bad is it in comparison to... You know, those sort of comparative elements aren't necessarily offered in those studies. So, you know, who knows? Okay. Okay, So stone experience. Stone viewing experience. DVD, streaming, Oh, I know what. I've been watching the show Baskets recently, which is on FX. It's got Zach Galifianakis in it. I got their name wrong, but I love them. We can punch in on that. There you go. (laughs) Uh, And there's like the beginning of the second season to that show is amazing because he starts riding the rails and like traveling with this group of like outcast circus people because he's a clown and they're all named after the like the crew of the matrix like dozer and and trinity and morpheus and it's just it i was pretty stoned watching i like binged watch that together and uh i just thought the performance i just loved it so much so i think that was that's probably the, the most recent peak stone viewing experience number one place that you have not visited that you would like to visit bonus question for you mm-hmm. place you'd like to shoot that you have never been able to do an episode morocco mm. oh why haven't you done morocco morocco seems so logical yeah for... i was in that season one slate but the day we were flying showed yeah. up to the office with my suitcase uh they canceled our visas Oh, I thought you were going to say, I forgot my passport. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, and I think, you know. What, what, why did they cancel your visas? I, you know, the, all of, a lot of the pot in, in Morocco is grown in the Reef Mountains, mm-hmm. which have an ethnic group that n- don't necessarily get along with the sort of royal family and the ruling party. And so there is, like, if you go to cover that, you might be going to cover dissidents in oh, the kingdom. Okay. And so we weren't there to do that. We were there to tell a pot story uh, and really just a story about um, 
the trade of hash and like kind of the sort of it's like a world heritage site for traditional hash hash making and so you can go there and just appreciate the tradition and that's kind of what we were trying to do uh and i just really want to go there and appreciate the tradition i was in morocco three or four months ago and I, I went into the Tharif Mountain. So I, I hired, Morocco doesn't really have much in the way of uh, non-train-based transportation. Mm-hmm. You're pretty much either like where there's a train station or you have to just like pay someone in a cab to drive you. So I hired this van to drive us like four hour drive. And I was really interested in the like hash parts, but I didn't want to like Say it come out. straight out. <laughs> so I like, I took like, I would say the three, like, you know, like if you're at a party and you're like, want to ask someone if they have any weed, I, I took like three hours to get from point A to point B. I was like, these mountains seem like a fascinating, <laughs> I was like, whole history of the region. Because like, the guy's like kind of a tour guide. Yeah, sure. That's kind of his job. And finally we got to the point where I was like, I was like, wow, man, I feel like I'd like be like in remiss if I didn't like try some of that local hash. He's like, oh, you want some? <laughs> Pulls over at a gas station, walks in, comes out with like a golf ball. Of- <laughs> I was like, oh, I could have just gotten that like right when we got yeah, in the car. Right. Uh, well, I hope you do make it to Morocco. Yeah, I think personally, otherwise, we'll get there. Uh, where can people who want to watch Weed Kid find it? We're on Viceland, which is a cable network. Call your local cable provider. Yeah. It's like way down. It's like if you look through the whole list, you we're, you, we're there. It's like fifty-eight percent chance that it's on on your cable. But provider. I mean, the way to the you know, if you have Apple TV or any any or smart TV, you can. Mm-hmm get the Viceland app, and then that's actually maybe easier than, than flipping around. Uh, you can also go to Viceland.com. There's free episodes up there. Um, and when does season three come out again? April 19th. It's going to be part of this thing called Weed Week we're innovating this year. It's like Shark Week, but it's weed. So it's a good, it's a big experiment in, in weed programming to sort of hit the alpha and the omega, the all of the notes, the wonderful notes of highness in yeah. one week of television. I will. Uh, I look forward to that. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks, Aaron. That's another episode of Stoner in the Books. Uh, thank you very much to Krishna Andavalu for coming in. Uh, thanks to Ann Garrett for editing this episode. Thanks to Mickey Duget for doing all our visual branding. We have some cool new stuff coming out along those lines. Stay tuned. Uh, if you like the show, which I think you probably do, if you're still listening, tell your friends, subscribe. And if you're interested in sponsoring this show, I'm starting to talk to a few people about it. Would you like your business or project to be one of them? Send me an email, hi, H-I, at stoner.co. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. <laughs>